Welcome to Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tiamanini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to speak with the wonderful Tony nominee, Beth Malone. Tonight, Beth will be joining the likes of Lena Hall, Adam Pascal, Nathan Lee Graham, Alice Ripley, Jessica Vosk, Anne Harada, Eva Noblezada, George Salazar, Anne Hampton Calloway, and more for the 8th annual Night of a Thousand Judies, a benefit for the Alley Forney Center, which is the largest community center helping LGBTQ homeless youth in the United States. The concert, as always, will also be a tribute to the late, great Judy Garland. In our conversation, Beth and I talk about why this event and organization means so much to her, what she learned from doing the stage door at Fun Home, and what Judy Garland performances still move her today. Night of a Thousand Judies starts tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time at thousandjudies.com. We will, of course, have all of that information and the link in the show notes. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Beth Malone. Where are you? You're, I know you're in mountain time zone. Are you in Colorado or somewhere I'm around there? I'm in Colorado, yeah. Okay, that's I am. What... I'm in Colorado. Have you been there for the duration of the lockdowns? I have. As um, soon as uh, Molly Brown closed, mm-hmm. we got flights uh, out, and then we have just been sort of thinking we're going to go back soon, and then uh, we are still sitting here. So <laughs> we have these condos that we you know we kind of we live here right we used to live here before we moved to new york you know we lived in la but we also this is where shelly and i met my wife and i met here in aspen and uh before we left my wife is brilliant and bought you know ski rentals so that we could come back and ski and so all of our rentals canceled as you can imagine and uh we were so psyched at least to have a place to be yeah um that wasn't the Upper West Side. So we were like, let's go hang out there. And all the ski, the ski area is closed. There was no skiing, but we just kind of sat up here and we are still here. Yeah. And I've seen on social media, you've been doing a lot of outdoors stuff that you might not get, you know, be able to do if you were still in, in New York, a lot of uh, fishing. I saw some golfing in there too. That must be nice to be able to. Yeah. You know. It's been crazy. It's been sort of like summer camp. You know, while the rest of my friends are battling it out, I feel a lot of guilt, but um, it's been incredible. And everybody I talk to is like, just enjoy it and, you know, enjoy it and feel happiness. It's okay. But, you know, it's like when when everybody else is sort of gutting it out, you feel a little bit of, I don't know, I'm Catholic, so I feel some guilt. (laughs) I I went to Catholic school, too. Yeah, I totally understand the feeling. (laughs) But it's been pretty amazing. Uh, you know, it's been absolutely um, gorgeous. Like May was one of the most beautiful Mays that they've had up here. I don't know why, but it was just like lovely. And, um, you know, it's been amazing. Colorado is gorgeous. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know. Well, you mentioned the fact that there are so many people who are suffering back in New York. And that's actually one of the reasons um, why we're talking is because you're going to be a part of Night of a Thousand Judies on the 14th of July, which is um, a benefit to raise money um, for the Ali Forney Center, which is a um, a, a center for homeless LGBTQ youths uh, in New York. And it's uh, this, I think, the ninth annual, eighth or ninth annual. Um, so it's a it's a great yeah. tradition, eighth annual. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to know how first you got involved. Did they just ask if you wanted to do it and you figured I'm in Colorado, got nothing better to do, so might as well? Uh, well, it's my second time being involved in Night of a Thousand Judies. 
maybe it wasn't Night in Thousand Beauties, but it was a it was a Justin Bond uh, event. Um, I forget what I sang. Oh, I sang The Rose. It was a Bette Midler tribute. Oh, okay. Maybe the first time. Um, but uh, anytime there's a there's a benefit that uh, that the money goes to LGBTQ youth, that is a that is a, a charity that's near and dear to my heart um, since Fun Home because. Um, I was made aware through doing the stage door every day, how, um, y- you know, this problem isn't solved yet and, uh, LGBTQ youth aren't safe in a lot of towns across the United States. And, uh, you know, that was back in the days when Obama was our president and we all felt like everything was, uh, you know, looking very rosy and and you know there was this you know a false sense of change that was happening i i don't know if it was a false sense i mean i do actually believe that most people are decent across the country even in the reddest of red states i do think that most people are decent but um the the kids growing up who are in the closet and and have to stay there because uh, they feel unsafe or feel like they will be um, kicked out of their own homes and then those those that are courageous enough or who become outed through no choice of their own and then are subsequently homeless um, you know those kids uh, need to know that there's somebody somebody who cares and somebody who's out there waiting yeah. for them to help. And uh, that's, that's, that's what this group does. And, and, uh, and that, that's a, it's a charity that I feel really um, passionate about sure. keeping on going. I was going to like start a, a couch surfing um, website for, for kids oh, who yeah. need a place to go. If, you know, like um, if you need to escape, here's a bus ticket and a couch of, somebody uh mm-hmm. who's who's safe uh that you can come and have rest you can be rescued um on one of the coasts but for me i'm like why is gay flight um why is gay flight necessary you know if it if there if there was more understanding and if there was more of a uh underground movement to keep kids safe in their own towns then uh, that's that's really what I would have hoped. Yeah, and and the the center does such great work that uh, it, it is kind of providing some of that safety net for the people who need it. But it, it is still sad that even today it's still something that is necessary. But it, it's it's important work to keep these organizations running, especially during times like this when, first off, everybody's uh, in bad situations. But charitable organizations and not for profits are hurting more if not you know as much if not more uh, as everybody else so things like this are are incredibly important especially today yeah exactly that's what that's what happens when when everyone is struggling the um the organizations like the alley forney center um really struggle because they they rely on donations mostly and uh, when when people are just trying to make rent there's not a lot of excess yeah. funds to, to give so uh you know it really and these people i mean they provide meals they provide um you know on-site clinic uh housing you know they they provide a lot of support and services and uh 
and the people really rely on it. So it, and to know that there's this place, this safety net, um, it really does save lives and it really, um, it changes lives and makes, makes people um, know that they're going to be okay and get their lives together. And then they can go on and help others in the future, you know, so that it's like a, a pay it forward sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the fact that when you were doing fun home, that just being at the stage door uh, opened your eyes to a lot of things, but I feel like that show in particular opened up um, a lot of conversation that might've been kind of swept under the rug, you know, kind of the things that you talked about people who were, um, outed who might not otherwise want to be, but it, it it gave some people some opportunities to have those discussions. When you did the show, obviously there was a ton of discussion about the importance of it, but were you able to kind of recognize how impactful that show was while you were in it? Was there a moment when you realized how much of a difference that it was going to make in people's lives? It was a, it was sort of some it was something that sort of built slowly um you know you would go to the stage door and like one child from Kansas would come up and tell you that you saved her life and then a second parent would come with their trans daughter and and say you saved her life and then you know the next day four kids would come and one had just ridden the bus from Florida just to see the show. And then it started to dawn on me, like, this is a thing that's actually, yeah. um, you know, it's a cultural wave that is happening and it's changing lives um, sort of in this wave, you know, um, it was, a, it was a, it was a, a slow burn, you know what I mean? It sort of, it built, it built momentum. And then um, people would make these pilgrimages to, to see it in New York. And for the people who couldn't see it in New York, like the cast album became this, this thing that people, um, you know, started writing to me and lots and lots of letters started coming to the stage door. And, uh, and then it just became this thing you just couldn't ignore the, the, the impact of it was you couldn't turn away from it. Um, and, and, and it made me feel a great deal of responsibility all of a sudden too. Sure. Um, because I just sort of, I've not, I mean, my wife and I, we've lived very out lives. We've tried to normalize our relationships and that has been, um, how the personal becomes political. You know, that is, that is how we've lived our lives. Like, we're not the people who you're going to see um, marching on a float in the parade, though. You know what I mean? It's like, not not who we were, but it's who we are now. Uh, you know, it, we had hmm. to step it up and become um, more active activists because we, you know, we were lulled into this sense of safety, into this sense of um, decency and morality of, of, you know, basic human rights are a are given for, for people. And, and then, you know, you have to sort of come to the, uh, unpleasant truth that it's not necessarily true for everybody. And so yeah. you want to be more visible and you want to be, um, more impactful and more, um, out so that, so that people can see you, follow you, feel safe. And, and, uh, you know, you have to see it to be it sometimes. So if you can be something that somebody can see, then they can have hope 
and go towards that and, and, and end up being, you know, the future leaders. Like that's the thing about building the mountain higher. I think um, Maya Angelou wrote something about our job is to just build the mountain higher while we live so that the people who come after us can see further and that, I just love that analogy of just, um, you know, that's why, you know, all the gay people who came before us and who um, fought for rights in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, they have created the platform for this current trans movement and for the movement of, of people being um, able to marry. <laughs> for me, for me being able to be legally married to my wife. You know, I have the people who came before us to thank for that. And so I want to be one of the people who builds the mountain higher for, for everyone who comes after us. Yeah, and that, that stays in line with what you said a minute ago about paying it forward. You've benefited from the mountains that they built, and now you're hoping to build even bigger ones for the generations that are still to come. What I really want, like what I really want for LGBTQ youth is – um, like the joy and happiness that comes with falling in love that straight people get so much uh, accolades for. They get support and people just moon over young couples and how yeah. how adorable they are and how beloved they are. And they walk down the street and they can hold each other's hand. And, um, you know, all the joy that comes with that first that first part of falling in love when you're very young. Like there's nothing better in life than that feeling. But when you're LGBTQ youth, that feeling is so often um, conflated with shame. And shame is so corrosive and the worst feeling in the world. It actually is like the worst feeling, shame. It's worse than any other thing. So if you have these two things stuck together in your mind, it really, it really, it really takes away a lot of the joy of that, of that falling in love, and it's not right. It's not fair, and and it's. Um, I wish for the world in which falling in love is just purely joyful for everybody. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the the concert coming up. This is like we. I think we figured out this is your first time doing this benefit, the Night of a Thousand Judies. What did? I think what, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. What did, or if anything, what is your kind of history with Judy Garland? Like, how were you? <laughs> yeah. Where did that? Do you have much of a relationship with her as a fan growing up, or or anything like that? You know, I was raised in a household. I was the only girl. There were three boys, and so whenever Wizard of Oz came on, I would get booted out of the living room. And I had to go into my parents' bedroom and watch it on like a 13-inch black and white TV. <laughs> and what the what good is watching The Wizard of Oz yeah. on a black and white TV? It sucks. And I, I was whining and crying finally. One year I got to watch it out in the living room on the uh, you know the, the Sony Trinitronic color TV, and uh, <laughs> you know it just was magical. And I was just thinking about The Wizard of Oz. And what an, what an amazing film it is, first of all, for all of the special effects they did back in the day when they didn't have any animation or anything like that. It was absolutely amazing what they did and how you just really went there 
even though it was like <laughs> all done on a sound stage and things like that. But Judy Garland's performance at the center of it was so simple and 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 you you were able to become her. She you were able to step into so, into those ruby slippers and just go on that journey with her because of those gigantic gorgeous brown eyes. You just fell into those and that voice, that voice. And so in preparing for Night of a Thousand Judies, I sort of went down this YouTube and I've done it before. Like I've had periods of time when I've been asked to sing other Judy Garland things. So I've gone down these rabbit holes, but the most recent one I did, I just found, well, I, I found it to be sort of infinitely sad. Like her, her tragic, tragic story um, because she was so amazingly good. She was what she knew how to do. You, you cannot teach it. What she could do with a song, it just, it breaks my heart because she was so good. You, you just, you cannot learn it and you cannot teach it what she can do. It's, it's out of this world. It's unbelievable. Um, and the song that I chose was, um, oh, I can't even think of what song I sang for it. And I already sent it. Um, oh man, my brain. I need to tell you, like, <laughs> I was very sick yesterday and I'm still not quite right in the head. I got very sick after the 4th of July. I think I ate something bad and all day yesterday I couldn't get out of bed. And today I've just been well enough to sort of become upright. So my brain is waking up, but just really slowly <laughs> in the middle of this conversation, actually. Um, well, I'm glad I could help then. But yeah, I'm glad it's going to be on radio. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't remember what I sang just in time and he found me just in time okay so i went down this rabbit hole and i came up with this song i came up with a few and this is the one we could get the rights for and um in in watching her sing it on different versions in different states of mind in dif different different states of sobriety sure um during her during her career um it it was sort of heartbreaking i mean she she struggled so deeply with with so many things and and no one was taking care of her that's the thing that i've come up with as far as judy garland is concerned she just didn't have anyone taking care of her and saying you know what no you're not going to do that you're not going to do that um you're going to actually sleep and you're going to actually eat and you're not going to take this handful of pills. You're going to take food and you're going to take a rest. You know, she just needed someone to take care of her. She needed a wife. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, like my wife, she takes care of me when I get to the point where I just cannot. She's like, okay, you're going to stop doing everything and you're going to sleep and you're going to eat this and we're going to go. And that's why we're here in Colorado. You know, like Molly Brown was so intense and so much and by the time I even was through half of the run I was so exhausted and so Shelly Shelly was like we're coming to Colorado now and here we are we still are here but um yeah you know that's what Judy Garland needed she needed someone to stop her from self-destructing like she did but part of why she was so brilliant 
is because she was so broken, so, so deeply broken. Um, and I, you know, I watched the Judy Garland movie and that scene where the movie, the movie producer pulls her into the thing after she just wants to swim in the swimming pool at her birthday party. Mm -hmm. That was like a total fraud birthday party. And the guy pulls her into the thing and says, you know, there's a lot of girls that are prettier than you. And there are a lot of girls who are more talented than you. And you're so lucky to be here. So why don't you just shape up and here have some pills? You know, it's just like, that was the beginning of just this horrible spiral. She was so young when she died. Wasn't she like 47? Yeah, Yeah. Something in that area. Yeah. I watched this Dick Cavett interview recently that was just so god awful sad and tragic. And she looks 90 years old and she's completely out of her mind. She's completely batshit in it. And, uh, and she's probably 46 years old. You have to remind yourself that when you're watching it, it's unbelievable. But what she could do with a song is it's, she really was like channeling something deeper. She was channeling, channeling something really powerful. Well, I want to, I want to kind of get off of that, uh, kind of the sad stuff here because you mentioned uh, Molly yeah, Brown. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I think it's important. Um, but you, you mentioned Molly Brown, and despite the fact that the run didn't get to end how you all would have liked it to, it's had a really great reception in terms of whatever the awards that actually have happened um, with nominations and wins and stuff like that. And I know this is a show that you've been a part of for a, for a long time, including, you know, back in, in Denver um, at one point. So I saw it, I I think I saw it the first Saturday maybe. Um, and I loved it. I had so much fun. Um, but oh, good. can you, if from being with the show through different incarnations and for so long, you said you were exhausted through what you did already, but how disappointing was it that you weren't able to get to actually finish this run after spending so much time getting it to New York in the first place? It was really, uh, it was really quite devastating and, you know, shocking at first. We, I, I can only describe the feeling as like utter shock because of because of the way it went down, like I was on my way to work. And then oh, I wow. just, instead of going to work, I went down there and cleaned up my dressing room. You know what I mean? It yeah. was just unreal. Um, completely a shock to the system also because how physical the show was and what it required. Uh, yeah. And so all the prep and all the mental prep of getting, it was really, um, uh, a marathon. The show was quite um, a marathon. And so I had to take a bunch of vitamins, get a bunch of sleep, get PT. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to make the show as physical as possible. And Kathleen Marshall, you know, let me do that. Um, I guess our, our production wasn't as, as physical as it had been. Like in the Muni, it was a hundred degrees and (laughs) much bigger stage. Yeah much bigger much more steps to cross from yeah, stage yeah. left to stage right so by the time i got to off broadway i was like here's here's what i know about playing this role i have to have comfortable shoes i can't be making a billion costume changes and it can't be it can't be 100 degrees so that was that was all something <laughs> that this this particular run of it was so much easier than it had been in the past but uh, you know, we worked really hard on it. And ultimately, you know, when you have a show and 
it's up. It's still, it's still settling in. It's still getting better. So by the time we closed, we were just getting into the groove. You know what I mean? So it was that part of the run, the sweet spot in the run where you're not sick of doing it yet, but you're just finding like really, really fun, um, the detailing of it, you know what I mean? Like that part of a run where, sure. you know, it's just the sweet spot and uh, we were just getting there and then we just closed and we had done so much work to get it there. But, you know, I have to go, okay, think, think about nine. Think about that cast who was like, in their dressing room, getting ready to have opening night and then had to go home. You six. know what I mean? Yeah, six, oh, not nine. At least, oh, six. six. <laughs> yeah, right, two nine. different musicals, that, two different nine, musicals. Different yeah. Six, six number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But upside down, isn't yeah. that funny how my brain did that? <laughs> you're, still, um, you're still overcoming so, the uh, the food poisoning or whatever it was. It's really, it's really something. I was like, all day yesterday, I was just like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> help i need i don't know what i just need the room to stop spinning it was really bad yeah um but yeah that's i mean that's awful so, for them i feel bad for those i mean those people i feel way worse for those guys and company you know what i mean like we are rehearsing in the same hall as as companies so i know all the hours those guys put in and they're just sitting there in a holding pattern without ever having opened so at least we got that and we got our opening night and we got reviewed and we got awards, you know, so I can't really complain. Just the initial shock was way worse, way worse than, sure. uh, you know, yeah, I think absolutely. it was just, un- it was unreal. We all kind of went down and cleaned out our dressing rooms. A lot of us went down the night we were supposed to do our show. A lot of us just went down anyway and cleaned out our dressing rooms and we had sort of an impromptu drink on the stage and a last wander around the stage we were supposed to be performing on that night we were looking at it going we're gonna strike this set now that Uh, is so weird that's that's so rough and but like you said it you know you know right now when everybody in the arts community is in that holding pattern that you mentioned that who knows when things and well things will probably never get back to to normal so to speak but who knows when they will get back to any semblance of normalcy um it it really is just a strange strange word and i can't imagine what it was like to be on your way to work and then find out there's no work so uh really well, just it was a weird thing because we were going to do one more show and then then we had this text chain that started happening with the cast and everyone cuz every it was the night that the first announcement came that uh everything over 200 seats was closed so mm-hmm. we could have still done ours um, and our producers were like, yeah, let's, you guys, we can still do our show. So come on down and let's do it. And, and then a lot of the cast were freaked out about it because they didn't want to get it. Yeah. And they wanted to get on the subway and everything. So, so we called the producers and said, what's the plan here? And they said, well, actually we just wanted you to come down one last time. So we could tell you this would be our last show. And so we all decided to just not do that. Yeah. Like, let's not, let's not do that show. And, um, and, you know, because there were people in the cast who really just didn't want to do it, didn't want to come in. I don't blame them. No. So we, so we didn't do it. And, uh, but some of us went down anyway and cleaned out our dressing rooms. Yeah. And that was the last time I saw them all. 
so sad. But uh, like you said, Weird. fortunately, you got to open. You got all these wonderful reviews. You got the award nominations to at least remember. You know, the show will be remembered uh, in that way. But certainly not the 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 closing that that you all wanted. But um, I'm going to let you let you go. Is just on one more last question about Night of a Thousand Judies. Um, you kind of remember what song uh, you're singing, but in all of your YouTube rabbit holes, um, was there anything that like kind of sticks out as like the moment for you? Not necessarily like uh, something from the Wizard of Oz, which you obviously knew well, but was there anything that you you found that you hadn't seen before that it was just so revelatory that everybody needs to see it? Yeah, I would go on and watch where she sings. uh uh, the song about stars. And he held the stars on the bottom of his hand. And, 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 and he, they ran through his fingers like grains of sand. And she's singing it on her TV show. Um, I can't think of what it's called. What is that? I'm going to look it up really quick for you, okay? Lost in the Stars. That's the one. Lost in the Stars. That's awesome. Yep. What what was it about it that that stuck with you? Well, the camera's like two inches away from her face, <laughs> and she's she's just thinking through every minute, every 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 mini moment, every moment between moments is so full, and I just find it interesting where she takes breaths and how she takes breaths. She takes breaths in these places where, like, a voice teacher would tell you, "No, don't take a breath there." But she's like, "This is how I am feeling. This is this is the thought." And and on the intake of breath is like the new thought, you know. And even though she knows the song, it looks like she is making these thoughts up in the moment out of her own mind, and it's just extraordinary. I don't know how she does what she does. It's yeah. It's magical. Well, I, I'm so excited to see whatever the song is that you performed uh, uh, for the Night oh, of a Thousand. I, it's uh, j- just in time. I'm performing just in time. Okay, good. So just in yep. time next Tuesday uh, on the 14th. And uh, I'll, of course, make sure everybody has all of the links and everything. But they can go to thousandjudies.com to watch at 8 p.m. on Tuesday, July 14th. So, Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. And, and I hope that you stay safe and healthy out in Colorado. And hopefully we'll get a chance to... To uh, uh, talk again in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt, and you can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. We will have all of Beth's social media information as well as the details for Night of a Thousand Judies in the show notes and on BroadwayRadio.com. Tell Me More is produced and edited by me. Special thanks, of course, to the always wonderful Beth Malone, Dan Fortune, and the man without whom none of Broadway radio is possible, James Marino. Thanks again for listening, and remember, never let a minute lie there on the shelf, for there may be in it all love's life itself. Also, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more.